For years, I've heard people speak longingly of the early church, as if it were some utopian religion that we lost through the splintering of denominations and are somehow still struggling to find our way back to it, to restore it in some way. And for the most part, this idea is a fantasy. Reading the Pauline letters shows us that the church has always disputed and fought from the very beginning. They fought on the right way to worship of who was in charge or who was in the know or who was correct and what was true belief. The church has never been perfect because, I hate to break it to you, the church is a human institution and only by the work of the Holy Spirit can it be the reflection of God's grace here on earth. Now that being said, with all the human messiness that is woven into the very fabric of church life, we do see a particularly prominent message across all the biblical texts. The message that repeats itself over and over and over and over again is to care for people other than yourself. Often we hear it said as care for the widows and orphans, for the stranger and the foreigner. In fact, even part of the responsibility of the early church was to collect offerings specifically for those in the community who were suffering and did not have the means to care for themselves. This great emphasis on caring for others brings us to the scripture for today. It's Matthew 25, 31 through 45. If you're familiar with the Bible, you might recognize this story as the parable of sheep and goats. If you've never heard this story before in your life, don't worry, we're going to read it together. Hear these words from the Gospel of Matthew. When the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Growing up in church, I thought this scripture meant that if I didn't give the man on the median holding a cardboard sign a dollar, that I was somehow ignoring Jesus. And while that interpretation isn't necessarily inaccurate or harmful, in the age of people refusing to wear masks 
and denying the fact that racism is systemic in America. I think this story asks more of us than the willingness to hand out a dollar. America throughout the 20th century began placing a great deal of emphasis on the happiness of smaller and smaller groups of people. First, the nuclear family that is prominently featured in the 1950s post-war era, and then focusing even closer on the, on the happiness of the individual. We sought after personal gain, individually focused. This movement led to an inward, individually focused society that I believe has affected the church in a deep way. The contemporary worship movement is a direct reflection of the ideals of the 20th century, a rebellion against tradition and a focus on the individual. People were seeking more from the church than ritual and liturgy. They wanted a personal connection. They wanted to feel God. They wanted to feel like their life mattered to God. And the contemporary movement successfully provided that connection. It told people that their individual relationship with Jesus was the most important. And so services became increasingly emotion-focused, saddling people's faith in God on whether or not they, quote-unquote, felt God's presence in worship. And so these moments often relied on an emotional experience, so much so that in some ways, worship began becoming a game of manipulation of emotions. Now, this is not to say that all contemporary worship styles do this or that traditional styles are exempt from this behavior. However, I think that acknowledging the influence of this individually focused society, acknowledging the influence it's had on our church communities is absolutely paramount. The church, I think, has responded to the contemporary movement by becoming so individual focused, by becoming so much about your personal relationship with Jesus that nothing else matters. Which, sure, Obviously, a personal relationship with the risen Christ is absolutely paramount to our faith. I don't concede that fact. However, I think that we've done a disservice to our congregations that by telling them that their individual relationship with Christ is all that matters. By teaching our congregations that all that matters is their individual relationship, I think that leaves a great deal of room for the sin of selfishness to pervade our worship. Now, hear me out. If you live in a world or a society that constantly tells you that it's all about you and your needs, and then you walk into a church and hear again that it's all about you and your own special individual relationship with Christ, are we not then contributing to the belief that people should put their needs, their hopes, and their desires and their contentment first in their lives? In Matthew 25, both groups ask Christ, Lord, when did we see you suffering? Jesus responds that anything you did or did not do for the least of these, you did it unto me. Now listen, Jesus doesn't say anything you did for yourself to assure yourself of your own personal relationship with me or to assure yourself of your own contentment or to assure yourself of your own self-esteem. Jesus doesn't put it on you. Jesus isn't talking about you. Anything you did for yourself is not something you did unto Christ. Instead, Jesus takes the eyes of the reader and turns them outward, away from ourselves to the world around us, to those on the margins. Jesus cares about the least of these. And this is now the call of the church to stop looking inward at ourselves and to instead see those around us and listen to their stories. So what in the world does this have to do with the Americanization of Christianity? 
I think that we as the church have to remind ourselves that we worship a God who is sacrificial in essence. And we see that obviously in the work of Christ on the cross, the mere willingness of Christ to submit himself to a death that horrible is so sacrificial. But even beyond that, the fact that God first became like us in order to redeem us, the mere fact that God became human is sacrificial love. Philippians 2 says that though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. The God of the whole universe, a God that I cannot begin to fully comprehend, an infinite God chose to become a finite human being because of God's great love for humanity. And not just like you, I mean all of humanity. God became human to save us all. And so if we are called to be like Christ, to live out our lives following his work, are we then not called to take up our cross? Does Jesus, the homeless brown rabbi who called out injustice at the hands of the state and the religious leaders, does his life suggest a focus on me, on what makes me happy, on what makes me content, on what makes me feel safe and good and warm and fuzzy inside? The story of Christ is the story of looking outward, of seeing the suffering of others and being compelled to do something to change their lives for the better. And we can begin to move beyond this focus on the individual to the communal when we start to do so in our worship. It is my honest belief that worship is most often when a congregation is informed about who they are and who they are called to be. When we shift our focus to both the individual and the communal experience of God, it allows us to hear experiences different than our own, which deepens the depth of our empathy for the other. See, when I focus only on my own personal relationship with Christ, it allows me to be way too selfish and to not see the suffering of others. And so if we are going to work towards resolving the social justice issues of this time, we need to do a better job of turning our eyes toward one another so that we may see the sacred worth in all people. When we listen to the stories and experiences of people who are different from us, how can we deny the truth of their lived-in experience? When we see God at work in people other than ourselves, how can we stand to ignore the brutality and suffering they endure? How can we say, it doesn't affect me, and thus I'm not called to change it? When we see the risen Christ in the eyes of all who suffer, how can we be satisfied with the status quo when our Savior turned tables in the temple to overturn the system. Our God is one who hears the cries of the people and takes action to remedy them. Our God does not sit on the sidelines, but becomes like us, becomes human in order to restore us. God takes action. God hears our cries and takes action. And so let us stop asking 
Lord, when did we see you suffering? Because friends, suffering is not tucked away. Suffering is not hidden. It's not something you have to uncover or look for. It's right in front of us. We see it in police brutality and systemic racism in the prison industrial complex, child hunger, poverty. I could go on and on. We are not blind to suffering. It is right there. Our Lord was not blind to our suffering. Christ became human, took up a cross to change the state of the world. And so thus we are called to do the same. And anything we did or didn't do for the least of these, we did it unto Christ. virtual pulpit is self-funded, so if you'd like to help support this podcast, you can visit the Patreon page at Virtual Pulpit. If you have any comments, theological questions, or topics that you'd like to hear on the show, visit the website at thevirtualpulpit.com and head on over to the contact page. Thanks for listening!